You are listening to the Yummy Mummy Podcast, episode number 129. Welcome to the Yummy Mummy Podcast, where you will learn brand new and shockingly different tools to lose weight for the last time. And now, here's your host, certified life and weight loss coach, Laura Conley. Hello, Yummy Mummies. I have a very special guest with us today, but before we dive in, I want to let y'all know to stay tuned because guess freaking what? My 40th birthday is coming up and we are going to do a little behind the scenes. We're going to do four weeks to 40 and it's going to be a day in the life for four weeks. I am going to get my fittest and my fiercest and my most fabulous and all the Fs. And so stay tuned because information on how to follow along is going to be coming out next week. So if you want to journey along, if you want to do what I'm doing, let's do it. So it's going to run May 17th until June 13th, four full weeks leading up to my 40th birthday. And I want you to come along. So stay tuned for more information and how to sign up for that. And if you haven't gone and left a review or a like or a rating on podcast, whatever, wherever you listen, please go do that now because hello, we have to free the freaking moms. And that's one way that we do that. So Without further ado, let's welcome Danielle Savory, who has the best freaky name for what she does. She is a sex and pleasure coach. And so we're going to talk all the things sexy and pleasurable. And I'm like, oh, my God, I hope my dad doesn't listen to this, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which he probably will, which is totally fine. Okay, so Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about where you are, where you live, what you do, and we'll dive in. Yay. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We've been talking about this for so long. So I'm just glad that we're finally doing it. So yes, I'm Danielle Savory. I live in Portland, Oregon. I got two daughters, a dog, and then a husband. I've been with that guy for 20 years. So for all of you long-term partnerships out there, I'm going to answer all the questions about how to keep Mm -hmm. it spicy. I've been a coach for almost a decade, and I focus on sexual pleasure and sensual pleasure for women. My background's in neuroscience, so there's a lot of brainy stuff woven into the sexual biology and also just mindfulness and mind-body practices. I've been teaching mindfulness for oh, well over like 15 years now. So a lot of that stuff is all woven in with the brainy stuff. And then of course the coaching. So yeah, that's me. It's the perfect combo. Yes, it really is. I love that. So similar to my background too, which I love because I think that that's like the triple threat, like the science, the psychology and the coaching. It's totally a triple threat. So how did you get into like sex and pleasure for women? Like how how did you create that as your niche? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, it's so interesting. I get asked that question often and I'm like, how did I land here? I mean, probably just because of my last name, right? But no, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that is so unfair. I'm like, did you change your name? (laughs) I mean, I have like a hyphened married name, but I just dropped the hyphen. This is like my made in what I was born with names. Mm. So this is definitely my name, but definitely what you were supposed to do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's interesting, but I I think there's a number of things, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, really every single thing kind of led to this particular niche. But 
for me, growing up, I didn't have a hard time talking about sex. It didn't ever feel taboo or off limits for me. And so that was one thing immediately that I noticed myself talking more about whether it was teaching meditation or in classes, because I do like to joke. I like to throw out jokes around whether they're like middle school, like boy type jokes, um, (laughs) or they're just more like very open and honest when it comes to sex. But I also went through a time period in my life where it was a really hard time. It was a really dark time. I was dealing with chronic pain, chronic health issues, and I was bedridden for the better part of two years. And during this time was also right after I got married and supposed to be the honeymoon phase. And we wanted to have a baby. And, you know, we were like ready to kind of start on that part of our life. And I didn't want to have sex because I didn't want to be touched. Like regular Mm. activities of daily living hurt, taking showers hurt, like everything hurt. So like the idea of being touched hurt. Then we were struggling with fertility. So I felt like my body was failing me. I'm like, here I am. Like I'm a woman. I should be able to like have sex with my husband and have fun and we're newlyweds and I should be able to like carry a baby and have a baby. And none of that was happening. Mm. I actually even had to quit my job because of my Mm. health issues. I wasn't even able to do that. So I'm like, this is Mm. awful. Like I just felt like my body was my enemy for so many reasons Uh. that it was a total rejection. And so through that time period was where I started to go into mindfulness and find my breath and notice this whole thing called your inner narrative, which I didn't know was a thing at the time. (laughs) Even though my minor was in Buddhist psychology, I didn't actually practice mindfulness. I had never done it. I just had learned about it. And so I went deep and I started noticing as I got more and more into that, how I could apply these skills to increasing my pleasure, to being able to hold space for the chronic pain that I was feeling and the pleasure that I was wanting. And then I was like, I've got to talk about this. And I really do feel like sexuality and pleasure, especially for those of us socialized as women, is like the pinnacle of self-growth because it brings every single thing in that we have been struggled with that we are presented with body image stuff, relationship stuff, communication, boldness, shame, possible trauma, you know, nervous Mm. system regulations, like the slut shaming, like everything is like in this small microcosm when it comes to our sexuality and our pleasure. Mm. And so it all comes out through those conversations. I love that. I think that's so similar to weight loss too, because it's like, yeah, you're going to come and lose weight or yeah, you're yeah. going to come and like learn how to love sex or, you know, yeah. be pleasured or whatever it is that you specifically offer. But it's yeah. like, yeah, but the byproducts are endless. Like you can't have the result of permanent weight loss or I don't know, yeah. sexual liberation without without going through the path. And thus you get right. all the bypro- byproducts of healing all of those yes. things you mentioned. I love that. That's so cool. So wait, so do you think that like, do you attribute that to your parents? Like you said at the beginning of your story or your intro, like do you attribute that to your parents or your upbringing or the community that you grew up in? You were like, I was just always more open in terms of talking about sex, which a lot yeah. of us feel like is a little bit taboo. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because during those time periods of like middle school, high school, 
you know, our brain switches. So we're more concerned about what our peers think than what our parents. So my parents, my mom specifically was always very open talking about it. And my parents would like kiss and like make out in the kitchen. Like it was just like, they were very lovey and been together forever. I was always like wondering like, why is Santa Claus like giving my mom like sexy underwear in her stocking? Like, that's kind of weird. Like, does my dad not, like, does my dad have a problem with that? Like this old man. Anyway, so it was just like very open, um, you know, with those kind of talks, which I do think was such an advantage and why it is easier for me. That being said, I grew up in a very conservative community. There was a lot of religious upbringing around me. We were not part of that, but all my friends were, whether it was the LDS community or there was like a very strong Christian, like a young, what is it called? Young, 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 young life. Young life. Yes. That was huge. Yeah. So that was like huge in my community. So it was either the like LDS community or like young life. And so a lot of my friends were that. And so I felt like here I am like more open and talking about this. And I felt immediately like wrong for that because Mm. that wasn't what the values that they shared were. And so I immediately started feeling like I'm wrong. There's something wrong with me. Mm. We shouldn't be talking about this. Plus it was also the nineties. And during the nineties, you know, we're getting like Victoria's Secret magazines and YM magazines talking about like all focused on getting boys to like you and getting to like you. So there's this, it never was for me. And so that was a huge part that I unpacked later, even though I was open for it, it still felt like this is where I get my validation. This is where I get, like, I get to be seen as a certain way or be attractive, but it was always for their pleasure Mm -hmm. and not for my own. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I again, there's so many parallels between the work that you do and the work that I do. And I think it's so interesting because it's like your parents can do an amazing freaking job at con- giving you the conditioning that makes you open and free. But like our culture <laughs> yeah, is like it's making their job almost impossible in terms of like create. So I think that it's even if you grow up in a home, like my parents were very, my mom especially was very open with those kinds of things. And totally like I I, totally were making out. I don't know about the lingerie thing, but they were, (laughs) they were totally always making out. We'd be like, ew, gross. And my mom was like always trying to have talks with me like all the time. And it's like, she did such a good job. It's just that I still got the cultural conditioning of what you're talking about. It's like, this is where my worth comes from. And it, this, mm-hmm. it's not for me. It's for something else. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about this too from your story. I think that a lot of my listeners can probably relate to you not wanting to be touched, not because they were dealing with some physical health kind of thing, but because maybe they don't feel comfortable in their bodies. Maybe they don't feel like themselves. Like I remember when I was struggling with body image and loving the way that I felt in my body. And this was always a yo-yo for me before I, right. like, you know, so sometimes I would be good with it. And sometimes I wouldn't, depending on what the number on the scale was, which is obviously right. so effed up. But I have like, visceral memories of like my husband or maybe my boyfriend at the time, we've been together for 21 years or something forever too. You know, he'd come by me in the kitchen or whatever and like just put his hand on my waist and I would like shudder because Mm -hmm. I didn't feel good in my body. I didn't want to be touched unless I felt like 
I was thin enough or skinny enough or whatever, which is, I mean, this is, it's a kind yeah. of embarrassing to admit, but I think a lot of my listeners can really relate to like not wanting to be touched and that blocks them from creating the pleasure and the intimacy that they they may desire or they maybe they yeah. want to desire but they don't. So can you just speak yeah. a little bit to that? Absolutely. And at, first of all, like I think that we all have to just like stop being embarrassed about these things because when we talk about them like this, it's like, yes, absolutely. I was that person too. Pretty much probably 90% of the women listening to this, that person, maybe it wasn't in the kitchen, but maybe they noticed themselves laying down and they're like, oh, I only will let him touch my stomach when I'm laying on my back. Right. Yes. Or I remember after having my kids and breastfeeding the first time I did doggy position doing that. And I like saw my boobs and they looked like this, oh. like they were like, um, the way I that know. I like to explain. I know them, what right? they look like. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're like the water balloons. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you're filling up a water balloon and they're all stretchy at the top and then bulbous at the bottom as they fill up with water. <laughs> I like it was like, or then they'd be on my back and they'd be like, I call them pity titties. Like they'd fall into <laughs> my bits. It was like so many things. Like, and so I'm saying this all and like sharing my own personal stories. Cause like, I just want to normalize this. Like, this is so like what so many women go through, especially in our culture and what we're taught, what our bodies should look like. And then especially going through changes with our bodies. And so, yeah, like, I think the main thing to take away from this is when we really think about how we were presented with sex or how we are talked about with sex, especially in heterosexual relationships, you as the woman, our main aim was to be desirable, right? We wanted that to like, I want this guy to like me or to look at me or to like desire me and want me. We became these objects of pleasure rather than ever being taught how to tap into our body to figure out our own desire. We're concerned, do they desire us? But it wasn't yeah. so much about us and our desire, or what we wanted or what we wanted it to look like. And so when you're learning about sex and pleasure through the lens of pleasing or being attractive or being desirable to somebody else, it makes so much sense why we would shirk away from these positions or these mm -hmm. touches or anything like that. Because in our brain, we're like, wait, what are they going to think? Because I don't mm -hmm. think I look great right now, or I don't think I feel great. So they might not think I'm great. And if the aim for us was to be desirable, we're going to shut that down because we do not feel desirable in that moment. Yeah, we're and not so, going to set ourselves up for failure. And so when you look at your body that way, rather than, oh, it feels great to be touched, when we can take away like out of that space of feeling like this desire, like I have to be desirable in order to be sexual, but like I actually get to be sensual and sensuality leads to sexuality, that's a totally different place. Because then instead of looking through the lens of being touched, we are in our bodies and we're getting to feel what it is like to receive touch. Mm -hmm. And so that in and of itself, that switch, when we start to make that switch going from like, what am I experiencing as a sensual being, you get to be turned on, you mm -hmm. get to go into sexuality, you get to like go into these territories now where before you were always looking at it through the lens of being the giver, the giver of desire, the giver of pleasure, the giver of being this object to turn him on. 
now you get to be a sensual being, be embodied in your own self and get to feel what it is like to receive that kind of pleasure and that kind of touch. Mm. So how much of that is cultural and how much of it is biological? Because there is there something biological for us as women to want to be desired so that we can procreate? I'm curious about that. Yeah. Like, yes, there's the, I totally 100% agree that there's just... <laughs> endless cultural conditioning yeah. right, around like, yeah, we like our job is to be the giver and to be desired. Yeah. If we're not perfect, we're not going. But I wonder, is there part of us wanting to be desired that has to has to do with our biology as well? It's a very small part of it. Because when you think about like both partners want to be desired, right? Like this isn't just like a woman thing, but like men don't think about that nearly as much as women because it becomes exasperated and exaggerated because of our culture. So of course you want to have attraction. Like there is an attraction that is a biological thing and attraction in order to procreate. But when we're talking about pleasure and sexual pleasure, sexual pleasure is very different than procreation. And we have to understand as a culture where we're looking at this to feel good, and to feel pleasured, that is different than just reproducing. And when we really think about reproduction, and when we come back to that, like we are the receptacle, we are the vessel, we are the Mm. receiver biologically. And so feeling that touch, like if you use that example, you brought up feeling that touch from your partner, if we're just going through a procreational thing, that should be a good thing. Right. Cause yeah. you're being desired, but our brain yeah, is like, anything, no, but I'm not desirable. Right. Yeah. Well, if, and if anything, like the guys should be the one <laughs> that are right. walking around, think of like ducks or, yeah. like, you know, peacocks. Or, yeah. Peacocks, peacocks have exactly. all of the great, like, like they are the ones that should be peacocking around 100%. like yes. all the time. Yeah. Yes. Oh God. Okay. So, and then the other thing that this is kind of a tangent or that, that you reminded me of is like, to just can we receive touch and just enjoy it removed Mm -hmm. from the way that we've been conditioned and i think about this with my daughter like Mm -hmm. you just it just sparked my interest in terms of like (laughs) like this is so weird but my daughter will come into our bed in the morning like and just cuddle you know and it's like the best i love morning cuddles more than god And I don't shudder at, I never shudder at her Mm -hmm. touch, right? Because I don't feel like I have to be a certain way or a certain weight in order to be worthy of it. And it's just pure touch. And you can, I can literally feel the oxytocin like pulsing Mm -hmm. through my body when we're like skin to skin. And I, I mean, I talk about it with, she comes in, she's like, I'm here for a hormone hit. Like she, (laughs) like she comes in, she knows what it's called now, you know? But it's just an interesting way to be like, oh, yeah, like I could actually receive that touch and enjoy it in the kitchen just as much as I, and you know, I'm not trying to sexualize my child. Obviously, I just want to be like, you know, very clear here. No, but it is touch, right? Like I think it's like, it's touch. And there's a couple of things going on here. And I love that you brought up this example because I bring up this example coaching my clients all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. why is it so easy here versus there? So there is that piece that you talked about, like that hurdle of 
feeling good in our body, feeling desirable, that we're assuming that our partner is judging us the way that we are. Because we also have to understand that men were also socialized similarly to us that we are supposed to look this particular way. My woman's supposed to be sexy and all of that sort of thing. So they also grew up with that messaging. So is it wrong to think that they might have those type of assumptions only because they grew up in the same culture we did? The fact is most men do not, especially like, not, I'm not saying all men, but like most of them are just like, I just love you. Like, let's just get it on. Like, I really didn't notice there was like a few extra pounds here. So there's that piece. But, you know, when it comes to touch, there's multiple things going on. Number one, there's that the body image and how you're feeling in your body. Number two, we have our nervous system. And if you're somebody like me, where my brain can be, you know, like ADHD, high sensitivity, it can be in a lot of different places and a lot of different time, even if you don't have any neurodivergence, and you're just operating in modern society, most of us are simmering at a part of our in our nervous system in the stress cycle. And so any kind of touch, especially if it's just coming at us is going to feel like a threat is going to feel like you're like, Oh, not because Mm. you don't love your guy, not because whatever, but because you're not prepared. And usually we are much more open and prepared. But I remember when my kids were young and it was like, I was touched out all over. Like it didn't matter if it was my children or my dog, actually my dog, I was always really, cause I was seeking him out versus him <laughs> seeking me out. Right. But I'm yeah. like, Oh, you're so cozy because petting fur actually does calm down your nervous system. Side note. I but then that. the other thing to remember about like so pet, your, pet your dog and then go have sex once. Yes, you're, once, exactly. Once you're- <laughs> or a furry blanket, it actually all has the same response. Oh, mm, I love so you can get like special furry blankets for your sexy time. But with your husband too, or your partner is we also are afraid that the touch might lead to something else, or we're agreeing that we want something else. And so mm. many women don't know they want anything else right then. Or we're afraid, oh, I'm going to be labeled as leading on. And I don't know if I want to have sex. I don't know if I want to give him that idea. I don't know if I want to follow through with it. And so letting him grab your ass in the kitchen, then, and you're into it, or then you start kissing, then you might be afraid that your partner's going to be like, ooh, I know what you want. And you're like, but I don't know if I want that. And it's like, then we get in our mind that we're maybe committing to something by leaning in. Yeah. Well, so what are we supposed to do in those? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What are we supposed to do in those scenarios? Because that's totally me. There's like two comments I have. It's like, I I remember, I mean, this is still me a little bit with, I don't know if I have ADHD or have neurodivergence of any kind, but I just, I always remember being like, okay, I, we could do this, but like, first I need to make my list. First I need to like list. (laughs) Yeah. I need to list what I need to do so I could focus on this. Yes. And then... To your point, I've totally been there. I'm like, I don't even want to kiss you because if I kiss you, then like I have to like invest like at least 20 minutes. Like, yeah, why can't we just have a kiss? So how do you speak to that? Or what do you recommend for that? I actually just did a whole podcast episode on this because it comes up a lot. But to summarize, basically what we need to do 
is number one, give yourself permission to always say no, no matter what, at any given time, even if you're naked and you're straddling him and you're not into it, say no. And I think as women, that is so much easier said than done. Like we're so used to like going along with things, especially if we're like, well, we're already here. It's just easier to keep going along mm-hmm. than to stop it. It's easier to like, just keep making out like maybe I'll have some pleasure, but it's really because I know they want it. Right. And so mm-hmm. we're just into this mentality that it's easier or I don't, I don't want to like rock any boats or I don't want to deal with their upsetness or their disappointment if I cut things off. And again, this comes back to the socialization, like don't be a tease, like don't like blue balls, like all these things we grew up with, right? You know, that is like so deeply ingrained. Also just the idea of like, quote unquote, letting somebody down that we love or not doing, like not following through. We have so many stories about that. So it starts with like, it's okay. It's okay mm. for me to say no. And again, mm. that's easier said than done. But one of the ways that I think is so helpful and I'm such an advocate of is scheduling it. And I know people are rolling their eyes and are like, that doesn't sound fun. And I don't know if my partner would be into that. Knock it off. Okay. I'm a sex coach. I do this for a living for myself and also with hundreds of women. It makes sex so much better. And like, we oh. are in this thing, like it has to be spontaneous. It has to be great. Absolutely not. Like, and it wasn't really spontaneous to begin with. Like you were packing your overnight bag. You were shaving your legs. You were wearing your not like period old ratty underwear because you knew something was going to go down. So don't tell me you didn't yeah. kind of plan it before. <laughs> I am a hundred percent an advocate for that, especially yeah. with little kids. And yes. like, I mean, it's just, it's so easy for it to fall to the bottom of the list and then just yeah. never never like get done. And so I'm totally like on board. And I mean, we we totally schedule our sex. And then sometimes I'll just schedule it. Like, and Brian doesn't even know that it's scheduled, but I'll schedule it. And because I'm, I'm like, so type A, like, I just like my whole life scheduled. And I just I do well with ever. I mean, talk about the nervous system. Like my nervous system does so much better when it knows like what we're doing when and why we're doing what we're doing. And it's like, yes, prepare for it. Yes. And I love that you brought that up because that's the other thing. If you have a partner who's really resistant to the scheduling, you can schedule it and you know what days you're open to it and what days you're not. And that in and of itself will allow your nervous system to settle down and know if you're going to be leaning more into something or if you're going to not be leaning in. I have very open communication with my husband about when we're scheduling because he realizes like how much better the sex is when we schedule it because of how into it I get. But then it doesn't... it allows you to have these moments of flirtiness and making out and kissing in the kitchen with so much freedom. Because even if he says something like, oh, are you sure? I'd be like, I can be like, it's coming. You know, it's coming. Yeah. And it's like, I know you're like, I know you want me. Like, obviously I'm sexy and like, you totally want me right now. And I get to let that keep fueling me. for when we do have it scheduled. And so it does give you a bit more freedom to feel okay leaning into this touch because you already have an agreement of what's going to go down and when it's going to go down. Well, because then it's not a no. Then the answer isn't no. It's just, it's not right now. So then you don't feel like you're shutting him down. And then he doesn't feel shut down either. It's just, it's the opposite. 
Yes. Like you're saying, it could totally fuel it. That's so fun. It is so fun. I love that. So Danielle, can you speak to it being pleasurable for us versus like we're kind of on this like scheduling thing and it not being a task? Because what I want for my audience and for my clients is for them to have a long list of like true pleasures or hormone hits, so to speak, that they can Mm -hmm. get that give them like a net positive because so many of us are taking away like in the yummy mummy, a lot of us remove like processed sugar and processed flour or foods that don't serve us that are a net negative, but that in the moment are pleasurable. But it's one of it's like those false pleasures. I I kind of call it like a like a destructive dopamine hit versus like a delicious, deliberate dopamine hit. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to, hey, like maybe, and I know you and I talked about this a little bit in Arizona. Like I was like, you guys, I told Danielle, I was like, Danielle, sell me on like why I like want to be into this. (laughs) And I think one of the answers is like, let's get as many true pleasures, as many like delicious dopamine hits that like, on our list so that our cup is full so that we don't have to fill our cup with things that actually take away like sugar. And I'm not saying sugar is bad. Let me just be really clear. I'm not saying sugar is bad. I'm not villainizing it. But for a lot of people listening to this podcast, it's not serving them. So what are other things that can serve us that give us pleasure? One of those, I'm guessing, is sex. Can you just speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many studies that have come that really show the benefits of sensual. And I'm going to start with sensual pleasure. This includes sexual pleasure, but in sensual pleasure in general, because in sensual pleasure, what that means is like tapping into your senses. And when I'm talking about sensual pleasure, I'm really mean that nourishing sensual pleasure, right? And that is a slowing down. That's a place where we're like receiving from this place of a balanced nervous system, which is different than just like those quick dopamine hits where you can be very stressed and still get a dopamine hit. You know, when you're really receiving this like place of like real, like, slowing down and absorbing this like nourishing pleasure, you know, whether that's like just putting lotion on in the morning and really being present for it or allowing your partner to give you a massage or this general, like I'm at a place where my nervous system is relatively balanced. Like the way, like number one, we're getting out of the stress cycle more. So there's all those benefits that we have from that. But then the sensual and sexual pleasure and even orgasms and what they show with like orgasmic things, what that can do for the brain, decreasing the blood pressure and like increasing blood flow in general, like the brain, like what happens with your brain chemicals, like the serotonin, the oxytocin, you know, hormones happening, like all of that stuff, like you're flooding, but you're also changing the structure of your brain because because we are getting into this place of our nervous system, we are changing the structure of our brain, your insula is getting bigger, your insula is about like, being present in your body, basically, is my easiest way of explaining it helps with like your memory, it helps with learning, like there's so many other benefits that are going on. But what I really like to think of beyond just like those, like, beneficial chemical physiological benefits is the traits that you are turning towards. So when we talk about developing particular traits of like who we are as an individual, there's things like compassion, 
connection, presence, enjoyment, turning towards delight, like all of those kind of traits and qualities that we want to show up being brave, speaking boldly for what we want, leaning into our desires, like all of these qualities and traits that we really want are encapsulated when we give ourselves permission to turn into pleasure, when we Mm -hmm. give ourselves permission to talk up to what we want, when we are bold enough to tap into our own desires, when we have prioritized our time to not be doing, 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 but actually rest and receive, like Mm -hmm. all of those things like lend into developing these qualities of traits where most of us, when we think about it, that's the kind of person that we are working on being. That's the kind of growth that we are already doing. And this just all adds to that. And I would also say that it bleeds out into all areas of your life. And that's the most beautiful thing. It's like when I'm working with clients, they'll just talk about how much more fun they're having with their children and how much more present they are because of doing this work. And when you talk about like what kind of partnership or marriage you want, you know, it's creating that chemistry and that connection and those butterflies and that excitement and that passion and that intimacy. All of that is also developed in the sexual relationship. So Mm. there's a lot. There's a lot of benefits. (laughs) Oh my God, so many. And then one other thing that I would add to all of this, and I think this is honestly the biggest thing that I noticed was how you can't lie to yourself when it comes, like the way that you're treating yourself, you cannot lie to the way that you're treating yourself when it comes to sexual relationships. Because when you actually open up to receive pleasure, not just in the sense of like, this is for him, or this is like just to chase after that orgasm. But when you really settle into like receiving this, your body doesn't lie. It's like the one place you can't push through. You can't make yourself receive pleasure. You can't make yourself feel relaxed. And so one of my clients, she described it as like this internal compass. Like I also, I always can tell like how I've been treating myself throughout the day by my level of desire in the evening, because it will show me like, oh, I've been beating myself up or I've been overdoing it, or I haven't been taking care of myself. And so my desire is really low, where my desire is really high is because I've been nurturing myself. I've been easeful. I've been present and I've been talking kindly to myself. So I think that's one of the biggest things is like, you have to be present in your body to really truly open up into a vulnerable space of receiving pleasure and your body doesn't lie. And it's the one place that you can feel immediately in your body because you'll either be shut down or you'll be opened up. Mm, yeah, it goes back to the nervous system for sure. Mm-hmm. Like if you've been taking care of your nervous system all day, then you can receive. I love that. Yes. So what piece of advice or what would you say to somebody who's like, yeah, Danielle, like that sounds so great. That sounds amazing to like be able to receive at the end of the day or to like increase my pleasure through sensuality and sexuality. But what would you say, like what might be step one for somebody who doesn't feel comfortable in their body quite yet? Mm-hmm. but doesn't want to wait. It's kind of like what I love to teach is like, and I don't talk about this that much, but I kind of am of the school of thought of like, hey, you're in this body right now today. There is one freaking outfit that you can find that you love that you look good in. Why are you good? Like, let's not wait. And so I don't want the listeners or the audience to feel like they have to, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but I don't want them to feel like they have to wait to do like a bunch of work before Mm -hmm. they can start having 
sex before they can like accept the touch in the kitchen. So maybe they aren't in the body that they want to be at, or maybe they haven't come into full acceptance, but like, Mm -hmm. what is one thing that they can start doing to be more, I don't know, what would you call it? Open to pleasure or? Yeah. 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 Well, first of all, just even though it sounds like all this stuff is a lot, it happens really quickly. You can switch it really quickly, which is just a side note. Like you don't have to heal everything. You don't have to go through every trauma. You don't (laughs) have to do all of this stuff to like get there. You know, it's like I'm in my coaching container right now. And it's like, people are like, oh my gosh, it's only been three weeks. Like I thought this was going to take like three years. So it's like, it can happen quickly. I want to say that first and foremost. But one thing that you can do right away is you can start opening up to receiving pleasure like every single day in the morning. I call it pleasurable preparations. And really what you're doing is doing something, whether it's shampooing your hair or like things that you're already doing. So I want If your brain's like, I don't have time for anything in the morning, just settle down. You're just doing the same thing you're already doing. You're just going to do it with a different mindset and a different focus of attention. So think about when you go to the salon and you get your head shampooed, like how nice that can feel and luxurious, right? Maybe they take a little bit longer than you normally take in there, but there's still something happening. Usually when we're doing it, we're thinking about the rest of our day. We're thinking about our morning. We're not receiving it. Even if you're the one giving yourself the massage, like feel your fingers on your scalp. Take a whiff of the shampoo before you put it in your hair. Like really, truly like feel yourself receiving the warmth of the water coming out of the shower. Like really soak that in. Or maybe it's when you're putting lotion on. I like to just feel my hands on my skin and like, oh, like I'm taking care of you. And then like on the receiving end, like, thank you for taking care of me. This feels so good. I love to feel your fingers on me. So you're like, like putting your attention into like the soaking in and the receiving, even if you are the giver, you're focusing on being the receiver. Yeah. And I mean, I think to your point too, it's like, and you're focusing on being sensual, like being into your senses, which I think we can get so out of, right? Because we're just like living from the neck up. And so we forget to like, listen to the birds singing. We forget to like take in the big blue sky. We forget to feel our hands on our scalp. We forget like about all these senses that we have access to that, that do bring so much pleasure when we like can remember. I love, I love that tip. I'm totally going to take that. Oh my gosh. So it's like, I, the way that I like to think about it is there's pleasure happening in any given moment. If only we turned our head towards it literally. And so it's like, but I like mm. to create a kind of a box or a container. So, cause if you think about it all day, every day, I could just receive pleasure. You yeah. might just be like, Oh shit. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like <laughs> where yeah. I should Too go much. with this yeah. too much. So just pick a couple of moments like in the shower. That's why I like to say preparation, right? Like why you're prepping for the morning and it doesn't have to be your whole morning routine. One moment, you know, mm. or one moment before you go to bed. And then the other thing that I would say is for that connection with your partner just kiss your partner and be present for that. Like once mm-hmm. a day, like don't kiss him like your grandma, like mm-hmm. slip a little tongue in there, feel it, be curious with it, enjoy it. Just once a day, like set these minimals for yourself. And that really will start things opening up mm-hmm. to receiving right away. I love that. It's so good. 
Okay, I have this really random question. What do you think? Like, what are your thoughts about lingerie? Mm, that's a great <laughs> question. I don't have too many thoughts about them. It's like, if you like it, do it. I personally think that it's very scratchy for me. There's certain things that I feel more sensual and sexy in, like silks. You know, silks mm. feel good. But like I said, I'm a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And so what are the things that you want to keep in mind when you're prepping yourself? And usually we're wearing lingerie, not necessarily during, but like in preparation for like foreplay and feeling sexy and all of that sort of thing is where is my leakage going? And I know that sounds like a gross term, but like, bear with me for a second. So it's like, where is my attention being leaked? Mm. Even if it's not a conscious thing, if there's something very uncomfortable on my body, or if Mm. I'm cold, my attention is going to be my body's attention is going to be like, I'm scratchy, I'm uncomfortable, I'm cold, instead of how good I feel instead of being so immersed in the experience, you know, so I and more likely to wear wool socks to bed than a sexy piece of lingerie because it makes me feel sexier because I feel more present in my yeah, body. Totally. And, and so that's what I would say, you know, like I, every once in a while, like if we're doing something a little bit more like wild or like role play-ish, maybe I would do something like that. But that is with a very like intentional direction for most of the time. It's like, how can I be the most comfortable so my brain can focus the most on the sexiness happening? Yeah, I love that. Okay, so talk a little bit about, I think I saw a reel of yours a couple of weeks ago or a week ago or whatever. Talk a little bit about foreplay. Like mm-hmm. not in the traditional sense. I think you were, you guys were like going for a walk or yeah. I don't know. So talk a little bit about that and talk about when it comes to like, oh, women are ovens, not microwaves. Yeah. Well, I think that it's really just important for us to understand how desire even happens and how that happens, mm. especially for women versus men. And this is a generalization, but for most women, like over, I think it's like 78% of women have what's called is responsive desire. So that means that we, our body needs to actually be turned on before we want it. So if you think about it as like being warmed up and wanting or the leaning in, it's like you actually have to be in action before the wanting. So responsive desire is action first, wanting later. And for mm-hmm. most men, what they experience is what's called spontaneous desire. So they actually start wanting it before the action happens. Mm. So they can see you walking down the street and they're like, oh my God, I want it. And no action has taken place. And this is so important for us to understand when any of these things are happening with foreplay and all of that other stuff is like, we might beat ourselves up because we're like, oh, I don't have as high a desire. They want it all the time. And it's like, no, you just have a different type of desire and you have to be willing to put yourself in a position of action first. And so it's like this going for so a job. Good. This is yes. so good. Oh my God. That's how I explain it. I'm like, it's literally like going to the gym. It's like, yes, Laura, just put your shoes on and yeah. go to the gym. And if you want to leave, you can leave. And I use yeah. that analogy all the time. It works every time. Yeah. And we're the same, like, and my husband, because he knows this, which is so frustrating <laughs> in some ways, because he is like, do we just need to go, you know, start? He's like, is this like a jog? Like, where's your joggers? Like, that's kind of like our joke, like getting your joggers on to go for a walk. And so he'll use it for like the sexy time. Like, 
Let's just see. But it's true. You know, and when you understand that about yourself, you're not feeling shame for not wanting it all the time. You have to put yourself in a position, which makes it even more imperative. What I said before about giving yourself permission to say no, because you might be willing to get it on and nothing is still happening and you still don't want it. And then you need to be able to stop it. But coming back to your question about foreplay, you know, I think so many women are like, what happened? Like I used to like, you know, feel so much more into it and so horny and all these other things. And it's like, because the foreplay was happening for way longer than you're giving yourself credit for. You know, there was the thinking of going on the date. There was the thinking about what would happen afterwards. There was the kissing, there was the petting, there was all these sorts of things going on. And most of it started in your mind before. Now, how often do you think about your partner? And what do you think? Like, I'm really just like, why didn't you take the recycling out? I'm not thinking about his D. That's for sure. I'm thinking about him (laughs) all the time, but I'm not. But in, yeah, in regards to the trash. (laughs) Yes, exactly. In regards to the trash and the childbearing and not like, you know, like the sweet D. So it's like, you really have to like, think about like, what really are we like spending time on and giving airtime to in our brain? And so it makes sense when we're not really thinking about it as much, we're not feeling it as much. And so I like to think of foreplay as really all of the mental stuff or the flirtiness or that connection leading up to it. What we can like traditionally consider foreplay, I think we need to take that off the table because when we think about foreplay in that way, it really puts like the P and the V at this top, like that's the goal. And that, again, is from a patriarchal view of like male pleasure and not how most women experience pleasure. Most of our pleasure is experienced in what we would traditionally call foreplay, not in the P and the V. And so when we take it off, like that's the goal Mm. and we come back to all this other stuff, it makes it so much easier. So it's like my husband and I stopped saying, when are we going to have sex? It's when are we going to have a session? And so when we call it a session, it opens it up. So it could be a million different things, but it's going to be erotic and it's going to be sensual and it's going to be intimate together. So it's like, it could be massage. It could be touching. It could be like finger play, oral play, like all these kind of things. It doesn't have to end in P and the V. And I think that really opens it up to allowing, especially those of us with female anatomy to get turned on because it takes like 20 minutes on average to just get to a place where you're actually aroused because we have erectile tissue, just like men, we would never expect a man to have sex if he didn't have a boner. But yet we're doing that like That's all the so time. Good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is such a good, I mean, I was going to say visual, but it is a good analogy. (laughs) It's a good way to describe it. Oh, I love that. Okay. I just have a couple more questions. God, I could, I, we could talk for hours on this. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So how do like sex hormones, like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, how did they play into desire and pleasure? Because I know like as a lot of my clients or listeners are going, like we're kind of all well, I don't want to say all of us, but we're all eventually going to go into perimenopause and menopause. And I'm just curious, like, I feel like we're at the beginning of our knowledge of, of hormones and they affect so many other hormones, but specifically the sex hormones. Like I know a lot of like for women, like our testosterone starts to decrease, I think like Mm -hmm. in our twenties, early thirties, whatever. And so I'm just 
genuinely curious, how do hormones play a role? And is there anything that you can do to like make it easier for you to desire pleasure with your mate that comes from like the external world or that comes yeah. from taking yeah. Yeah. So I love that you said this because I think that's really the key here is to understand that this is like external things like saying, oh, it has to be sunny out to be in a good mood. Does it help for it to be sunny out to be in a good mood? Absolutely. Do we have to have it be a sunny day to be in a good mood? No. Right. So it's like really thinking about it that way. There is so many things that change with our body and with hormones over time. It's like why you might notice that you're more into it during ovulation when your estrogen is peaking versus like right before your period, you know? So we do have these cycles where we have surges of particular hormones where we want it more when you're going through perimenopause. And then when once you've gone through menopause, you are going to have different hormone levels. And that does affect things like vaginal lubrication and just kind of like that more spontaneous, like get up and go desire. That being said, the biggest influencer is your brain. So it's like really understanding that even if you are, so I've worked with a lot of women who have gone through like early transitional menopause, maybe because of radiation or chemo or going through some sort of illness or health issue, that still have been able to have incredible sex. Maybe they are using, you know, a vaginal type estrogen or something like that to like help with the lubrication, help with all of those. So do those help? They are one thing that can help just like a vibrator can help. They can, are one thing that really can help aiding in this. And we have to understand our biggest influence is really what we're thinking about it, what we're noticing, mm-hmm. how we can lean in. I have so many post perimenopausal or menopausal women that I've worked with that are having the best sex that they've ever had. And Mm. it's like, how is that possible when their hormone levels are so low versus a lot of the 20 year olds that I work with who hormones are in peak perfect position and aren't having any pleasure. And it's because of the influence in our brain. So are hormones important? Yes. And when I'm working with somebody, you know, it's something it's like, okay, if they are getting their brain on board and they're still not noticing, or they Mm. still notice their arousal reaches this point, I'm like, okay, well, you should look into this. Like, there's no reason not to look into your hormones, but don't look at this as like the be all end all the only answer. It's just one thing that we can do to help. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, that's so applicable to weight loss too. Yes. Because we all want just like a pill to like, we just want like the quick fix and like the real fix is the brain. Like, yeah. Could there be something going on hormonally? Maybe, but like, we have to change our brains and be able to feel feelings and all of that. Because even if there is a hormonal thing going on, you probably won't do the things that the hormone expert tells you to do. Unless yes. my mindset is that like, is exactly. Is yeah. Yeah. I love the sunny day analogy. It's so, so true. It's like, you can yeah. still be in a great mood. You can still have amazing sex. Might it help? Maybe. We just had our first sunny day here in Portland, Oregon yesterday, <laughs> and I was immediately in a better mood. <laughs> so I'm like, it yeah. definitely can help. And especially if it's been a really long time, like if you've been dealing with like a hormone depletion for a really long time, you are going to get that initial like, boop. Mm-hmm. but like in order to sustain that, like if mm-hmm. I keep having sunny days here in Portland, like that's not going to just like keep my mood high might be that initial thing. And it's the same kind of thing with hormones. It can be that initial like, Ooh, that's exactly what I needed, but there's still a sustainability that comes with your brain. Yeah. 
I love it. Okay, so I imagine that this answer is going to be brain-based, but I have two more questions and then we're going to for real wrap it. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) this one is, I just read Mating in Captivity, the Mm, Esther mm -hmm. Perel book, and she talks a lot about, and this kind of, I think you would be able to speak to this just because you've been with your partner for 20 years and I'm just curious since I've been with mine for 21, whatever. And she talks a lot about the eroticism comes from the mystery. The eroticism Mm -hmm. comes a lot from the not knowing. So how can we create this desire? How can we create the eroticism or the connection or the sexual, like whatever the pleasure with someone who we've been with for so long? And I know you've spoken to it already on this podcast, but Mm -hmm. just share a little bit more about what you might think. Yeah. Well, so it, it comes to novelty, right? So novelty is really what allows us to our brain to wonder what is coming next. It's like something new. So a lot of couples think, oh, well, we need to spice it up or some couples, it might even be like, oh, do I need a new partner? Whether they open up their marriage or they there's infidelity happening, that is where it's coming from. And so understanding that's really where it's coming from is like that desire to spice things up or even flirting with the idea of somebody else or something else or fantasy is coming from this place where eroticism really does lie in a place of mystery and mystery lies in a place of not knowing, which is in newness, Mm -hmm. which is in novelty. And there are new things that you can do. You can try new things, role play, play with cards, you know, do all of these sort of things. But where I find the real power is, is learning how to create novelty with the brain, learning mm-hmm. how to actually like create a newness and a not knowing with the focus of your brain. So like I have a whole course, it's free, it's called Fresh. So you can check that course out. It's for literally what you're just talking about. And in Fresh, you learn about how to really tap in to this novelty. But really what we're looking at is like, what are we, what are we assuming is going to happen? So coming back to like the kiss that I brought up earlier, usually we go in and we kiss and we don't even realize like how not present we are with it. Cause it's like driving to the grocery store. You've done it so many times. Mm-hmm. The brain checks out. It's thinking about other stuff, but we can prime the brain and prompt the brain with like, what's here? What am I noticing? I don't know where it's going to go next. Like even just thinking about it in this questioning, curious way creates novelty and engagement with the brain and it is going to get you more turned on. So it's like really allowing yourself to have the beginner mindset and trying again with a newness and a not knowing instead of assuming you know where it's going to go. And this is the same thing when you're having sex. Like there's so many times where we just assume, okay, we're going to do this next. We're going to do this next. We're going to have kind of this pattern and being more curious. Like, I don't know where this is going to go and letting your attention follow that curiosity. Mm, I love that. Okay, so Danielle, tell us how we can find you, how we can stalk you, where we can listen to you. Tell (laughs) tell us all the things. On Instagram, I'm at the practice of pleasure. You can just Mm -hmm. go to my website, daniellesavory.com. If you're interested in that free course that I was just talking about, it's daniellesavory.com slash get fresh. I think it's get fresh. I don't know. We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) But those are the best ways to find me on Instagram or on my website. And then also my podcast called It's My Pleasure. Mm, So good. I love that name. 
I did not know that was the name. That's so good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's so I like literally feel like when we were talking, I I could just like feel the audience just like lighting up after everything you said. It was just so good. So, so helpful. I learned so much. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Hey, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, I would love it, love it, if you leave a rate, review, and a subscribe on whatever you're listening to this podcast in. Pretty, pretty pleased with the cherry on top. It would help me so much, and it would help all the other mamas out there hear this message. Thank you in advance. I really appreciate it. And you have to come check out the Yummy Mummy Experience. It's my proven lose weight for the last time group coaching and course. Head to lauraconley.com and just click work with me. Other than that, you guys, I would love to give you a free gift. If you want your free listener only gift, go to lauraconley.com forward slash gift. And from there, you will get your free best ever weight loss hack. So cool. The last thing I want to tell you, you guys, is I do have a free Facebook group. It's called, you guessed it, The Yummy Mummy. Lose weight for the last time, end body drama, and get food freedom. You can just search that on Facebook, or again, you can head to the show notes and you'll find the link there. All right, you guys, have the best day ever. Bye.